0: Welcome to Risk Sleep Repeat, a podcast that features influential guest speakers from the world of fire, health and safety. We're going to focus on trust-based safety, owning and embracing risk, and the importance of people over paperwork. Hosted by me, Adam Clark, Managing Director, and Mike Stevens, CEO of Praxis42. If you're a fire health and safety professional, join us for inspirational conversations about the future of our industry. Louise Harry leads Siemens Environmental Protection, Health Management and Occupational Safety in the UK and Ireland, additionally leading Occupational Safety Transformation globally for Siemens AG. With a passion for employment engagement, digitalisation and manufacturing, Louise also participates in various industry groups including Made UK, the CBI and the EU OSHA. She has worked globally in EHS roles in manufacturing, IT and telecommunications sectors before joining Siemens in 2018. Morning Louise, lovely to see you again. The the approach as we've talked about is that the podcast that we undertake at Praxis 42, it's our opportunity to give back hopefully to other practitioners who can listen in, pick up tips and just hear about how you got to where you were really, which is I think is a is a good place to start. I think our listeners always like to understand, you know, how did you get there and how did it how is it you've end up being in your position as a leader in occupational health safety environment.
1: Thank you. Good morning, Mike, and good morning or good afternoon to whoever's listening and when you choose to listen. Many thanks for the invite. It's it's a wonderful opportunity to talk to you and, and to share my experiences. Um, so I'm really looking forward to doing that. So background wise, I was actually described, I was at EHS World Congress two weeks ago, and a new colleague that i met there described me as a purist which is an interesting term isn't it because i studied environmental health at university and have worked you know for my whole career the last 25 years in environmental protection health management occupational safety um so it was quite an interesting um yeah an interesting conversation to be described as a purist because i hadn't considered myself a purist at all you know i'm i've always been curious and and worked in various different functions support functions of businesses but so i i did study um i have a bsc in environmental health which was actually a great grounding for moving into the workplace because it was it was fairly practical Um, and I was studying at a time when the six pack regulations were coming out of Europe. So the launch of risk assessments. So really was able to to learn at a very theoretical stage at university about these wonderful new set of regulations that were about to appear in the workplace. Um, And, you know, studied those alongside things like environmental economics, but also, you know, landfill management, um, pollution control and lots of other really good basics. You know, my study was a very good mix of forward thinking, theoretical topics, but also great grounding for the workplace. And while I was studying, I had the opportunity to um, undertake a placement with Motorola at one of their manufacturing facilities which was in Swindon and one of the projects that I undertook for them was actually to write the risk assessments for the whole factory so they had a you know a really capable ehs manager who was very experienced but you know risk assessment was new so yeah i went in for 3 4 months over a sort of summer period and that was my job was to look at everything within the factory and write the risk assessments and it was the most Incredible baptism into the workplace and actually, you know, the difference of theoretical safety, what you think it means on a piece of paper to actually what it's like to manage safety and, you know, talk to people who are actually doing those jobs and working with that machinery and and undertaking those tasks, so it, it was absolutely fabulous. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to be um, offered um, a place on their graduate scheme. So I went literally straight from university um, into uh, Motorola on their graduate scheme as an EHS engineer, as it was described that day. And and then I spent six years with Motorola working in various industries. So this was at a time when Motorola was a huge you know, global multinational conglomerate of a lot of different types of industries. So, you know, they had a semiconductor division, they had an automotive division, you know, cellular infrastructure, cellular manufacture. So again, it was this wonderful opportunity of, you know, not just going and working in one type of business actually, but having a very multifaceted then early education of what EHS meant you know across very wide range of practices you know so you know a semiconductor fab is very chemically intensive so the occupational hygiene and health concerns are you know big priority and then actually you know with cellular infrastructure there was a lot of construction in there so again had this wonderful exposure to many different environments and because of the global nature of the business also culturally you know I was able I worked in the Asia-Pacific, Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas region. So, again, was able to understand at an early stage how different EHS practice can be um, across different types of culture as well. And then following Motorola, I, you know, I had this lovely time in my 20s of traveling the world and actually living in different places for a few months at a time, but, you know, reached a point in my life where I wanted to be more UK centric. Um, So went to work for T-Mobile. So obviously as as a mobile operator, which eventually became EE, and then spent, you know, a very happy, I think that was probably about 15 years with that business in its various forms. And, you know, at times I had specialist environmental roles or specialist safety roles and then ended you know with a a, again a a wide-ranging EHS role. Key highlights for me there were actually where the merger of T-Mobile and Orange um, where we brought together actually two companies you know that did have different cultures and again that was a fabulous learning experience but also a wonderful opportunity to really go back to basics with EHS and say okay look you know between these two businesses we have 150 processes and procedures what do we actually need for this business going forward and it was a very liberating well you know now is the time if we want to to rip up and start again and forward think so that was yeah a really wonderful opportunity to go through a very large-scale merger like that as well and then four years ago I Siemens came to talk to me about taking on the um, EHS director role for the UK And I have to tell you, I think it's because of that first summer writing risk assessments in a manufacturing facility, I do have a bit of a soft spot and a passion for manufacturing. You know, I I just enjoy, you know, those sorts of environments and actually the opportunity opportunity to perhaps come back into actually what's a very forward-thinking technology company on one hand, but has this wonderful 175-year legacy of manufacturing and engineering, just felt like a a great combination for me. And yeah, the ability to come in and perhaps, you know, shape EHS for the future with Siemens. So, and and that's been a very happy four years to date as well.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I think that journey and the description is really helpful for somebody that's maybe looking to, to join the, profession i guess yeah and what does that mean so we see that there's degrees that are out there that somebody that's at the age of 18 or whatever is thinking well what what does that mean and what's it look like it's very challenging isn't it so it's a bit of a leap of faith who'd have thought that you'd have had somebody like motorola put their arms around you bring you in look after you and give you all these wonderful experiences on the basis of choosing a degree
1: yeah yeah Absolutely. And I, and, and I think that's really important. And certainly, one of the things that we've started fostering um, at Siemens now. So this year, I have we have two interns in my department, one who's focused on one in uh, health and wellbeing focus, and another who's focused on sort of environmental protection and sustainability. And we have others seeded throughout the business as well. You know, we're very fortunate in EHS that we have people who become practitioners, perhaps out of operational roles within businesses, and they bring that wonderful wealth of experience but I am also very conscious you know we have to build our talent pipeline for the future as leaders and actually going out and selling perhaps something which if we think about safety for example you know it doesn't have the best reputation right you know a lot of people it gets a bad press so actually you know being able to go out to universities and, and you know foster and sponsor some of interns so they can come into the workplace and experience you know EHS in the workplace, I think, is is a great thing for us to do.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, fabulous. And it just sort of uh, resonates with me in terms of where I started and who would have thought i would have ended up where I am now. But, you know, we've, as as an organisation, we've got probably 50% of the workforce that started off thinking they wanted to come into health and safety, and they did. And we've sort of invested in that. And it's great to see how you can do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about people also understanding you know whichever point they choose to come into the profession it doesn't have to be a limiting factor. You know, it, it's not a, you know, if you come into the profession, it doesn't mean you, you have to stay within it. You know, you learn so many great skills. And actually, I think that's really accelerating the, the type of skills that EHS practitioners need that actually place you very well to move on to do whatever you want to do in the future. You know, obviously, we we always have to maintain you know, that expert technical competence in EHS matters, you know, that we have a lot of legislation we have to, you know, take on board and, and implement. But actually, you know, we are increasingly focused on, um, as they would describe to me, non-cognitive skills. So, you know, those skills of the future that EHS practitioners need, you know, in their ability to influence and take the business on a journey with them, you know, and, yeah, and just, I guess, their their ability to be an enabling factor as EHS professionals, you know, an enabling support function, as opposed to one that is computer sense. No, which I, I guess, you know, there has been, particularly within safety, that reputation previously. So, you know, for me as, as a leader within our business, it, that's probably one of my key missions is to really build upon what we achieved I think during the pandemic and the value that EHS provided into the business and and ensuring that as purpose-led professionals sometimes that you know understanding you have to sometimes not put rules and regulations aside but you have to have them in the right context that allows you to perhaps challenge conventional practice and then you know the return that you get in terms of you know creativity and efficiency and effectiveness can really bring that significant value back to the bottom line of a business actually
0: the thing i enjoy about having the conversations with you is that uh, you've obviously got a business sense. So at what point did you come into this, uh, okay, so I'm doing risk assessments, I'm doing these things which are technical skills, which is great, and all of a sudden you flip into this, well, actually, there's a bit more here. It's a bit like, how do I make it happen? Or how do I influence this? Or how do I get past this? You know, there's either a culture or a blocker. So when did that start to become part of your skill set?
1: I really began to feel the difference in the shift probably about 10 years ago And that was partly down to working on some best place to work initiatives in the wider business. So that was um, sort of T-Mobile EE at the time. And, you know, there was a real desire to deliver a good employee engagement within that business. So it was, you know, a, a huge project that was taken on board. And actually, as the head of EHS, as I was at that time, you know, I was assigned a few of the work factors. And I would say since then, I've really begun to understand that actually my success is probably defined by understanding, you know, there is a real imperative for both stakeholder engagement, which I think we've always been pretty good at in EHS, but also meaningful engagement. And that's not just of, you know, those stakeholders, that's very much focusing on your employees um, and making sure we have that really strong engagement. So... And actually, if you have people engaged with you, your journey, you know, to deliver world-class safety or EHS management and become a a function that's not disruptive, you know, it's just really empowering, Mike, right? You know, that when you begin to understand, I can make a difference. I'm not just here to protect the business from, you know, legal problems or legal requirements. I can make a difference, you know, and and I'd say in the last few years, it's about going even further and thinking about, you know, as as our topics and our professions sort of change again and, and we start to focus very much around, you know, holistic well-being and psychosocial risk management. There's actually a piece of me, you know, and I say this to my team all the time we can enrich our people you know we're not even just protecting them anymore and and keeping them from harm why can't we send them home a little bit better each day than when they came to work right you know there's no reason why we are we're purpose-led people you know let's deliver some of these great topics back in you know focus on the fact that all of our employees and our stakeholders you know they're all unique individuals with things going on in their life and actually we don't have to just focus on a piece of machine guarding we can very much focus on well what can we do to make your your workplace and your life and your time at work an enriching piece for you as well.
0: So for those practitioners that are maybe not At that stage, or or not, there may be how I describe it is they're they're looking through the window into the shop, so they actually haven't got through the door yet. Is there anything that you would give as some sort of advice about how to get into the shop or get into what's going on if you if you if you feel like you're on the outside looking in and it's all going on and you want to be involved?
1: So I I would say the first piece of advice is very much about creating those great working relationships within your business that you're working in and learning very clearly that if you feel you are on the outside that's maybe because there's a little bit of silo working going on so you have to break that so that's always the first thing is to you know is to go out and build those great relationships with all of those other um, departments within your business you know and that's very varied right you know there's a very natural link into human resources or people and organisation. It's called many different things these days, isn't it? But there's, there's always a very natural affinity between EHS and that group of people. Very easy, I believe, to build good bonds uh, and cross-functional working. Um, Another key area, supply chain management. You know, so many of our colleagues within supply chain or procurement have a very future-focused attitude um, around sustainability and and long-term environment protection. Again, very natural affinity. So, I would say it's about identifying those departments where there is some affinity um, and building those relationships and credibility with those people. So, you know, if you're going to do things you know and deliver Um, make sure you actually deliver on on what you think you can and then once you've built some of those I guess affinity relationships then you start to cast your net a little wider in the business you go and talk to your finance departments and your operations departments and really you know I guess the key mantra is as I said it's about being that enabling partner to the business, not being a disruptive partner to the business. So, you know, we'll often see things as EHS practitioners that don't feel right. And we know we have to amend the practice, but rather than, you know, if you're outside, you know, perhaps stomping in saying, okay, you've got to stop that. It's always really nice, isn't it? To start with a question or or a statement. I think I can help you do that better, you know, and that's never poorly received by anybody in the business you know it's that so I think you know again if you feel like you're not quite in there it's that sense of you know go in and offer bring to the table what you know you can offer to them and you know uh, and sometimes people can be a little protectionist about your areas but I think if you go in with a genuine authentic sense of I am here to enable you to you know help run this business in in a more successful way it will always be gratefully received
0: yeah no that's great help and in particular about um identifying where you have those affinities and that and that could be even your previous skill sets where you can Absolutely. bring those things to bear and 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 in, that, in those functions so i think that relationships uh, is hugely important in terms of whatever you do and how you build those positive relationships and that's built on trust and understanding so you have to spend quite a lot of time in there uh, to do that but I I remember when we were talking last time you were saying that sometimes when you're within those groups is sometimes you do have to defer back to actually I am the specialist here and how how does that work then how do you do that in your your way of doing it?
1: I I suppose I will caveat it and say it often does depend on the audience does it And, and sometimes on the pressures that may exist within a business but there are always going to be times for us as EHS practitioners when actually we are very clear that there is a a better pathway forward. And yeah, you will be inclusive and and have that engagement and collaboration with people around you. But sometimes you do have to be the decision maker. uh, And that is the reality. And I think if you are facing a scenario, you know, where you have to make a decision that you feel is going to be not unpopular, but you know, that that people may be slightly disgruntled with it, then the key part of that is to, is to really be clear on why you're making the decision. And, uh, you know, It's that whole, um, we sometimes use what we call, you know, the star methodology. So, you know, if you're then feeding back, so star methodology is situation task achievement result so we maybe will then talk through the business with you know and tell a story for them really and part of that storytelling is giving them the confidence and the clarity that you are the expert in the room on that particular topic and the way you do that is by telling the story to them and being very clear but in a very crisp concise way on you know why you've identified the solution as being the right one and 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 just giving them the sense that okay yeah we've dealt with this before it might not be the same scenario so pandemic's a great you know example of where we'd never experienced that before but actually there were certain times where you know we had to be the decision makers to enable the business to keep running so no you can't do that This is why this is where we've seen something similar, you know, in perhaps preparation for flu pandemics, that type of thing. And and then just constantly learning. And I would also say that piece where, um, you know, being, I, I guess, the expert in the room you also have to have, you know, a good dose of, you know, being humble if you need to be. So if you carry, you know, so I'm always convinced, you know, that if we make a decision, we're making decisions to the best of the ability that we have in that given moment. So we, the information we have, you know, um, what we're seeing, what we're feeling, we make the decision. Actually, if you need to step back and make a different decision in two weeks time that's totally fine as well and actually the the thing that really makes you the the expert in the room is that ability to step back and say actually we do need to do this differently and and these are the reasons why that we've learned on in you know but it is it very much does link back to that credibility Um, So if you build good credibility in the business through good delivery, being a good enabling partner, when you are needing to step into, if you like, that more governance type role as an expert in the room, it's going to be well received because people have that trust in you. So, you know, it can be quite hard to assume that position if there is not a level of trust um, already within the relationship.
0: And how, how important then is it that you you use this um, the analogy where you've got the star? I'm guessing that those people that you're talking to that they were familiar with that. So the commonality of language which you use within in your EHS role and what's being used in business in the business must there must be absolutely aligned, I guess. I,
1: I suppose you know there's there's many different ways of doing it, but I think the common thread is storytelling. How you you know, uh, it is about how you bring a topic to life for the business. Uh, you know and it's the type of thing you you can use in an interview as well you know if you're trying to answer a question somebody's answering you a question think about your answer in a logical uh, methodical way so just using that sort of situation and and the tasks and achievements that you have you know therefore uh, you know can relate to that particular question or ask of you within the business is just a useful way of doing it but it's certainly not the only way but I would say at its heart it is about having a good storytelling method for how you want to um yeah how you want to effectively sell something into the business sometimes or or indeed govern something within the business as well
0: that's good isn't it the the the, the storytelling part about it is it brings it to life as you say and um and without that it's about how do you how do you get your point over if you don't create that scenario with what's, what it is, what consequences could be, how you see it and how you pitch that. So do you, do you see yourself then now more of a, a coach there's this thing about a coach mentor what's the difference but you know do you become a coach in that way so that you're actually getting people to make the decisions based on letting them think about what it is that the situation is that needs to be dealt with there
1: is and I think the 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 clear pathway between you know coaching and curiosity so you know if we think about our EHS you know purpose-led professionals you know we're, we're looking to solve some huge challenges right you know social and environmental challenges and that's all about very sincere curiosity I would say and then that links very clearly to asking the right questions and that's the key link then isn't it into coaching is that that is all about asking the right questions to understand perhaps what desired outcomes are and find those effective solutions But I would also say when you move into that more perhaps coaching of the business, you uh, and you want to be curious, you can't bring or you can't always bring your own desired outcomes to a business conversation and you can't always lead others to the conclusions that you want to see. It has to go beyond that. So very much, you know, dropping preconceptions, um, being a little bit humble and accepting that there's lots of things we don't know as EHS professionals about how a business is operating. Um, so, you know, that that piece about wanting to be, I, I guess, thirsty and, and curious, and then behave, you know, in, as a coach would, um, that enables us to truly understand, I think, how people are thinking and, and feeling and behaving.
0: You're doing that within who you're supporting. So you, you're acting and you're talking about being partners, business partners, and that approach to how do you work within the business and what's your purpose. How, how do you – I know you've got a, a, a quite a large team or maybe not a large team because, you know, you know that's, that's part of how it's seen. You know, how do you get the right number of competent people within the business? How do you then – influence them. So what what's been your approach to that and joining Siemens and and in the past?
1: So so actually we're on a little bit of a journey at the moment. So And Mike, I I, I guess if I'm not allowed to mention my my partner organisation, we'll we'll have to deal with that in the recording. But but we have partnered with um, Acre Frameworks, um, which is very much on, you know, focusing on those skills of the future for EHS practitioners. And in wider Siemens globally, we have what we call future skills of EHS. And what we um, have done over the last two years is that all of the sort of senior EHS people within my teams in the UK have been through I guess a discovery process um, where they've begun to understand you know how they work where their their strengths are in terms of these future skills so we are talking about you know um, strategic thinking creative thinking um, you know collaboration and influencing all of these types of skills so and we've actually mapped those out in a very, very open way together. So we all understand now as a community where our skills lie. So actually, if you're about to undertake a project, and you think, I need a little bit of help on, you know, a long term strategic, okay, well, I know, you know, Sarah Jones is really good at doing that. So I'm going to go and chat to her. So it's not about Identifying weakness—it's very much about building a picture of where the team is strong and where we can help each other. And then moving on from that, what we have also done is that we um, we've set up what we call monthly learning pods. So as an EHS team, we learn together one afternoon a month. Um, And again, these tend to be a facilitated workshop that will—you know—somebody will come in and facilitate for us, and they are focused around again, these skills of the future, that they're not about technical competence. They are about all of these other wraparound skills that help us be great, you know, EHS practitioners of the future. And actually... Um, it's been energizing. It's been it's been a wonderful experience for us over the last you know sort of twelve months to the point you know so that we've all just sort of agreed we're going to sign up and do another twelve months of um, learning together in these pods. But actually, uh, it's had a, a you know it's had a, a big effect on the team. You know, it's knitted our EHS community together in a way that it wasn't knitted before. We've had a few guys swap and move around roles within Siemens as a result because they kind of felt re-energized into their careers so we've had a great opportunity to sort of yeah move a few people around into new roles and progress them um, so yeah I w- I highly recommend really thinking about as a leader um, or indeed anyone else within an EHS organization about how you look at those skills together in a way that you create that that piece which is that actually as, as again as a community we are greater um, than as individuals operating in silos because you know we're a complex organization we have lots of different business units it's quite easy to not touch and and you know work alongside some of your EHS colleagues even so just recreating a great sense of community but again a very purpose-led learning has been very very valuable for us and yeah highly encourage people to take take a look at that and see how it might work for them and so one of Siemens's strategic pillars at the moment is something called growth mindset and this is all about you know our people so you know we we don't do performance management anymore we do growth talks um which links very much into you know our our growth mindset um so I, i think the type of learning that we are doing you know fits very well um into that kind of growth mindset and growth talks as well. And this is about, you know, strengthening performance through your individual growth. Um, You know, it's about talking whenever you need to, not waiting, you know, for a very scheduled performance management discussions. It's about having a more meaningful discussion but also staying focused and and future orientated, you know, so very much putting our employees in control of their own growth as well. And and the sort of four key um, key elements to that are that you have very clear expectations for you within your role, that you do have that growth perspective that you want to learn, that you are recognised in a timely way. And that can be, you know, through your peers, other people in the business, you know, it's, it's this piece about feeling appreciated and valued and then everyday learning so you know what we wanted to do as part of the growth talks is is recognize that we were all on this journey of growth together but actually how could we as a community take EHS practice into a growth mindset as well so that was why we just decided to sort of you know look at discovery process and and the learning pods together
0: so in that growth mindset and uh, this um, not performance management so to speak i could i can hear what you're saying so Am I undermining it by saying it's it's sort of like ramping up what was there already, but putting another uh, angle on it?
1: I would say it is absolutely building on what was there and and almost, you know, the piece that sits within growth, which talks about um, clear expectations, is really that piece about, you know, goal setting that used to exist within performance management. What you now have alongside that is all of these other elements that recognise actually, you know, we we, look, our business is constantly changing and evolving. We need our people to do that, too, to make the business successful. So it is about really placing, you know, the empowerment of that back into employees' hands to say, maybe you know best what you need to learn to take your journey forward you know it's it's not always about dictating look you know we have lots of helpful avenues curated learning journeys this type of thing for people who are not quite sure where to start but it is it's very much about empowering your people and of course, then there's huge overlap with an empowered employee who then feels engaged, who's going to work well and work safely and, and really forward think. You know, it's this really lovely virtuous circle, I think, for us within e- e- EHS that, you know, is really building um I guess almost this enrichment of you as an employee so yeah for me I, I see this um, you know it fits very well with psychosocial risk management you know where you're looking at control and demands that are placed on employees well if you're in a growth mindset again you're able to have those good conversations about how you know work is feeling to you and how you know how your work life feels to you as well so yeah it, it's a, a very supportive and collaborative way of doing things.
0: Well, ago I observed that uh, you'd launched something uh, which was about a well-being day and I think it's a well-being program it and was, at the time yeah. I was struggling as a, as, a, as a practitioner as this well-being thing was going on I was thinking this is a quite a big topic isn't it but I wasn't I was trying to get my head around it you know in terms of how do we position ourselves as a consultancy or how do we understand what clients are up to and Ellen at uh, BT who's one of our clients I said to her Ellen, just help me here. What does well-being mean to you uh, in BT? And she explained all these different things that were like, you know, if somebody's got an issue with uh, like money or uh, if they had a bereavement. And I'm thinking, okay, so there's this wider thing. So, what you've just been describing to me with this um, whole a part about having this this growth culture you know this, this mind growth you know this whole approach that does that feed into the well-being side of things as well
1: yeah no it really does mike so and we've we've been taking another look at our well-being strategy recently for the UK as well and actually I have a nice definition for you that that we've been working towards on on well-being for healthy and safe at Siemens, and that is that well-being can be understood as how people feel and how they function both on the personal and a social level and how they evaluate their lives as a whole so the one thing i would say that we have begun to realize over the last three to four years is that when you've dealt with wellbeing at work, you've tended to deal with it on things that relate quite directly to you know, work. That's how it was in the past. So, you know, you would look at ergonomics, for instance, if you had people lifting and and, and it was very health focused. What we now realise is that when you when you recognise that your people are all these wonderful, unique individuals, they all have their own, you know, unique set of circumstances and lots of different factors affect their well being as they come into work, as they're at work and when they go home. So Yeah, I I absolutely subscribe to, you know, why don't you begin to try and support your people in the best way possible. So for us, that's absolutely about recognising, you know, there are these key factors that always impact on, you know, how people are feeling. And often they're not all related to the workplace you know they are other factors like their financial well-being um perhaps how things are going you know with their children parenting is often a, a, a big piece as well and and then those you know the fact that perhaps you're aging and you have different health considerations so so how do you bring that all in and actually recognize that as an employer it's okay to offer your people advice on non siemens topics for example it's okay to to deliver a strategy that actually supports people in all aspects of their life and i think that you know i think it's important that you know uh, previously i i would say that lots of wellbeing strategies have been in that reactive space so you know your reactive stages you know focusing on that need to provide perhaps you know access to specialist support and and what the last few years is really seeing this big shift into preventative and proactive well-being so you know managing those psychosocial hazards what does a you know what does effective people management look like and this is this piece about growth you know um you know ensuring that people have that ability to feel growth and identify what's important to them so that we can then support them in those, you know, different areas. It's also about leadership accountability, you know, uh, uh, and actually operating as a business in a way that feels right to everybody as well. And I'd say, you know, within those proactive pieces, you know, it's for us um, has become very much about ensuring we have good equality and access to provision as well. And that, you know, we're there supporting those open conversations, you know, and facilitating those conversations between, you know, managers um, and their employees in different parts of the businesses. Um, I think it's also about speaking up and taking part in making the workplace a healthier and safer environment as well. Um, And again, that stakeholder, the imperative of good stakeholder engagement that you are not just listening to an echo chamber on all of these topics that you are inclusive and that you invite a diverse range of views on and, and that's not just on health you know that's on everything within eHS and that you're then perhaps engaged in the learning and sharing about we can how we can work you know better and safer and healthier together as well
0: there can be for you know for a listener who is a senior manager thinking about what does this well-being thing mean? Is it about you give it to somebody, and you put a, a job title against it, so like your head of well-being? Because is it just about a function that delivers well-being or is it a multifunctional?
1: I I would say that, no, it, it's definitely not just about the person but I would also say that having the right people can really accelerate the shift. I I, I think it's about having, it's about having a healthy culture driving your business, yeah, that you are effectively um, empowering your leadership. So, you know, what does healthy leadership look like? Well, maybe that's empowered leaders who are, you know, productive and, they've got good resilience, but they actually care about their their people as part of that. And they're actively demonstrating that. It's about having a healthy business. So the business is, you know, supported. Um, it has an attractive, you know, culture to people um, that feels like it's healthy and safe, um, that maybe our healthy people is that bit that's enabling our people to, to thrive, actually, in the future of their work. So that's that A bit again about growth and engagement that it feels balanced and safe and then maybe your you know your workplace as in the physical space is the right place be that their home office or you know a a manufacturing facility a a field service guy But do does everybody have you know again the right activities that you know the right physical support the right um psychological support um, and, and practice to enable them to kind of you know just be healthy individuals within all of that as well so no I don't think it's about one individual I think it's about linking all of those aspects together and, and understanding you know the the interdependencies I would say between all of those actions as well.
0: And that um, you've used the, the, uh, the culture word mm. and uh, <laughs> how that all impacts on the you know what's one of those then so um how do you define culture um I, I go i'll go back to a long time ago i was struggling with what culture was and it's about the way we do things around here you've yep. probably heard that one before um and um it, it depends on the culture that you see within a within a big organizations where you can see that it isn't just one you can have streams of culture in different functions and uh, it's about how do you normalise what is the culture and what's the approaches, I suppose, is, is hugely challenging. And how do you influence that from your position, I suppose? it's. Uh...
1: I think one of the biggest things that actually we have started to do, because, um, you know, part of my role for Siemens is a global role as well. So, you know, I see this on a much wider scale um, for Siemens as well as, you know, the role within the UK. And that we have very much begun to recognize that actually one size does not fit all, there's something lovely about sitting in a global function and and trying to implement a contractor management program that you want it all to be the same because then you know you've got the same and you know it's working, but of course it doesn't work, Mike, because you know life is different, you know from country to country to business to business, so actually recognizing that there are Very distinct cultures and patterns within a country, within a business unit, within regions, you know, is really, really important, again, to that imperative of good engagement. I'm listening to what you're telling me. I understand that you're telling me why this won't work. You know, so, yeah, very much. Yeah telling the business it's okay that we don't have to have one size fits all because we understand you have those cultural you know differences and and that is about you know taking that time and and you know listening to people and just then reflecting back to them what you perhaps you you feel you've learned in in a humble way and and checking that but yeah culture is about how we do things around here um And sometimes people will do things very differently, but it doesn't mean our way is better than their way. Um, Yeah, I I can always remember, this is a really good lesson, actually, when I I was early in my career and working on an ISO 14001 certification. And um, a really lovely auditor came in. I think he was probably from BSI. And, we, you know, we were having a discussion about, you know, a management standard clause, which many of our EHS practitioners would be familiar with. And um, there were two auditors in the business and they were having a discussion about, you know, is it a systemic failure or was it just, you know, perhaps something that warranted an observation? And and the senior auditor turned to his junior and said, Look, it might be a very ugly baby, but it's definitely still a baby. It does all the things a baby should. Just because you think it's ugly doesn't mean it doesn't work. But that's really, you know, that applies to a lot of different things in life, right? So uh, we've often used that phrase within my teams. Is it is it an ugly baby or is it a perfect baby? We don't care because it's, it's a baby and it works. And culture's the same, right? It might not feel right to you, but actually if it's working for the people it needs to work for, then it's a good culture at the end of the day. So, yeah, that's very much my view about yeah, you can't impose what you think a culture should be um, either within EHS or on a wider business and you have to accept those differences are there and actually, you know, that, that diverse range of cultures sometimes is the thing that brings wonderful creativity and effectiveness to a wider system as well.
0: What we can do is that we can bring a dialogue which actually identifies where a culture could be unhealthy, and you're seeing and observing things which either is a manifestation of hot spots in terms of stress, pressure, um, issues within you know, performance that you see and observe. And I think we've got a part to play in recognising that but not be recognising and saying, well, just leave it alone, because if you don't add that to the mix, then you, it just reinforces something which may be not the right culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I think, you know, as an EHS practitioner, you know, there's still huge value, isn't there, in in being out talking to your employees so you know i'm still out traveling constantly yeah i'm not sat here in my office every day so for me um you know there's lots of different things you can call this an engagement visit a safety walk and talk you know lots of different things but actually that ability to uh, and i think perhaps as a leader it becomes more important and Um, certainly within Siemens, you know, sometimes I'll go out and do these visits on my own. Sometimes I'll take, you know, one of the other board members with me, you know. So um, Carl, who's my boss, the CEO of the business in the UK, um, we're going out next week, actually, to one of our facilities. and, And we are going, you know, for, I don't know, probably five, six hours with no purpose other than to talk to people. You know, we're interested in, yeah. How, how does it feel to be working in that particular facility? Um, and this is where you really have to be generous with your time to understand what makes the business tick. Um, you know, because there, there is a little bit of a formula that people don't do much and tell you very much at all in the first hour. They might, you know, they'll warm up a little bit in hour number two. And then, you know, the rest of the day, hour three onwards is when they really start to tell you what's going on. And we've been doing quite a lot of work with this globally within Siemens about, you know, these very senior management engagement visits to understand, you know, what the EHS culture is feeling like. And actually, um, I I think we've taglined it as the gentle art of listening instead of questioning, Um, you know, so really developing, I I guess, those humble inquiry type skills. Um, And these are very much encouraged, you know, through all of our EHS community, but also with our leadership communities as well. So, yeah, just go out and ask with no preconceptions about what's going to come back. Um, you know really take on board what you're being told and actually if at all possible if you can take one thing away that is fixable um, you know that's a really great thing to do but it it's absolutely not a checklist it's absolutely not an audit or a workplace inspection it's very very much about you know this engagement and culture piece about you know really understanding from the top Um, to the bottom about how the organisation is feeling and and functioning. And, you know, we, we tend to go in perhaps with an EHS focus, but we'll often come out with a very wide range of topics because actually, you know if somebody has a pinch point in their work that's and it's not working for them and and this is something that's a blocker to them, well, clearly that's a big impact on you know maybe their job their ability to do the job safely or in a way that's affecting you know their well being so yeah we often can come away from those visits with you know, um, a very wide range of topics, you know, from engineering, design, you know, right the way through to something very basic, like, you know, my work breaks don't wait, you know, work for me at the time they are. But yeah, just being very open about perhaps, you know, what is important to the people you're visiting.
0: It's great to hear because that whole thing of what I was called or was brought up with, which was management by walkabout, is that if you didn't go and talk, didn't find out, you didn't engage, then did you know really what was going on? and if you don't look, everything's great because that's what you yeah. you know, you don't yeah. see anything <laughs> you know, you just, what you say, it's an echo chamber, and It's everything's, everything's going okay, isn't it really, and I'd, and I'd really enjoyed having a, a bit of a bust up with people not a bust up, you know, you can have quite an interesting discussion about things and Absolutely. it can be yeah.
1: and, it, and it's, and it's yeah. helpful
0: in that respect because it shows your passion and it shows their passion and you find that you get to a point so, and I like the term that you use here is this engagement uh, visit because the question I was going to ask you about is how do you deal with the things which are maybe more about how do you measure? Just so you you know you've got these non-financial, you've got your, your financial, or you've got your, your, your numbers um, that we can use as our lagging indicators and those leading indicators. How do you how do you go about that sort of? is there an audit is there a not an audit do you have a key measures which you have how do you, how do you know what it's like
1: yes yeah, so look so you know obviously i would say you know we are very focused on the future and, and and the engagement and how things need to feel but we also have governance responsibilities that we have to discharge for the business so we have a number of ways of measuring that enable us to monitor and manage. So, you know, we, we have a governance audit programme within Siemens, which is tracked, monitored heavily, you know, so that goes to the board each month. So we understand, you know, if you like, from a, from a paper-based Um, side how things are looking but our our governance audits always include on-site visits so you know that reality check of okay the business has said it's doing x we've gone out and checked that this is what we found globally as a business we we do track LTIFR you know which is very problematic in a business like Siemens because again culturally you know You're not measuring apples with apples, you know. So if... um, And let me just give you a really good example of that. So if you work within catering in Germany and you cut your finger, you by law have to take five days off work because of you know what they would see as a bloodborne pathogen risk whereas perhaps in the UK you would put plaster on and go straight back to work or perhaps if it's a more serious cut you know in some of our manufacturing facilities in India for example we have on-site healthcare there so we have doctors and nurses they they can stitch people up and send them back to work so you know the problem with those lagging indicators like LTIFR is you are not necessarily measuring the same thing globally. So, so we are on. An absolute journey as a global business to find the right measures for EHS going forward. So I would say certainly within psychosocial risk, we use our employee engagement survey. So we've got you know a very dedicated question set within those employee engagement surveys that ask people, you know, how they're feeling about work, control demands, that type of thing. So we've got some good measures on psychosocial risk. But it is still a journey for us, Mike, you know, and it's not always a numbers game, is it, when you go out and talk to people and understand what's really going on? You know, you could go to a site that's not had a zero lost time case in 12, 24 months, but it doesn't mean that everybody's feeling great about working there, you know. So you have to balance those governance measures, I think, very, very clearly against those more cultural ways of learning about the organization as well
0: and that, I think that's a really good point and the the cultural aspect of that the business recognizes that you are working towards something which is difficult to to measure a negative you know did you have one didn't you have one and I recall when we had an organizational change somebody came in and said looks really good in health and safety you know the gardens looks rosy and it's, and all I could say what they said well how's that then so well we do quite a lot of gardening And uh, he said, well, how much gardening (laughs) do you do? And it's a bit like, ooh, I don't. And it was, it was difficult to say, but it you know it looked good, it sounded good, and you know it's about how do you sort of make that comparison? Because the, the next thing I was going to ask you about how often do you look outside of where you are now? Obviously, you've had lots of experience looking back, and you know do you look outside to what's best practice, or do you engage? Obviously, you you're you working a number of groups, don't you? So
1: yeah, absolutely. So you know I, I'm very fortunate, you know that I'm able to do um, some great interactions outside of the business. So um, in the UK with the Make UK Occupational Safety Leaders Group, some health and wellbeing pieces with lots of other businesses via CBI and then also at sort of EU OSHA level. But actually, you know, we're we're able to network with a variety of different businesses and have some great open conversations. And then, you know, I think it's about, as a leader, picking those right conferences and meeting of minds where you go and and learn. So, um, yeah, I saw some great work out in Berlin a couple of weeks ago on how General Electric are using AI and machine learning on their um, instant stats. Oh yeah, absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, Klaus Rosa and, and the team at GE are doing some amazing work um, around data. And I think that's really exciting potentially for, you know, EHS practitioners going forward is, you know, harnessing the power of some of the machine learning we might be able to do. But also I think it's about, you know, understanding, from others how how they learn and move forward as a business as well so you know we've been spending a lot of time on ensuring that you're not just doing you know incident investigations you're very much in a you know i guess a just culture and that you are learning you have these learning teams from incidents but yeah i i think when you then start to work outside of your own sphere, you start to realize, you know, that uh, there's great skills out there in people actually learning from work as it's happening, not even waiting for the incident to happen and and starting to learn that way too. And I, I, yeah, for me, that's very exciting as well is, yeah, taking a concept that's, you know, worked somewhere and bringing it back to Siemens and seeing how we can make that function for our global community too.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's just to uh, to conclude, Louise. I think it's been really fascinating from my point of view listening to how you've gone through your career to where you are now, and obviously on and onwards. Really, thank you very much for all your input here. I'm sure the listener will take that on and have something to go away, food for thought. And um, thanks for donating your time to us. To share this with others
1: thank you and as i said mike thank you very much for the opportunity and for anyone that's listening i love making new contacts always very happy to have a virtual coffee with people so and and widen the network and learning um so yeah please do reach out to me that would be wonderful
0: thanks so much for listening to risk sleep repeat if you'd like to appear on the show. If there's a topic you'd like to discuss, or if you want to let us know your thoughts, please do so using the hashtag RiskSleepRepeat or get in touch via our website at praxis42.com.